Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you will hear from the cutting-edge players in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, sustainable, regenerative and innovative. We can all be more informed and aware consumers. And Rorag is your next step in that direction. Brought to you by Ace Radio and Tamania Angus. I'm Kate Mead and today it is my honour to introduce you to host Tom Gubbins. Mike Carroll has more than 35 years experience in food and agriculture with current directorships including Select Harvest, Paraway Pastoral Company, Virtus Ag and Rural Fund Management. Mike is also the chair of Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. Mike comes from a family who has been involved in farming for over 150 years and has his own property in Western Victoria, which he manages with his wife Sally. Today we'll be chatting to Mike about the lessons that he has learned from a career in agri-banking, investing in farms and the importance of evidence-based decision making. Welcome to the Raw Ag Podcast, Mike. Um, what's going on on your farm at the moment? Uh, at the moment, we're um, we're preg testing. We're getting ready for weaning, and we're getting ready to sell some surplus breeders in the Team Tamania sale. Preg testing, doing some things that are a little different there. We're fetal sexing so that I can um, uh, make a decision on those surplus breeders. I'm going to sell based on retaining, you know, about a quarter of the female pregnancies, which is all I need to. Um, replenish the herd the breeding herd then you get paid a little bit more for the um last year i think we they they sold pretty well when we did it last year um and i think whilst the nation's in a herd rebuilding phase they should attract a bit of attention yeah so buying your females with females in utro that's right yeah that's pretty clever stuff I've, i've run about 250 breeders tom and um would like to have you know over 150 steers so I can truck two B doubles of steers out. Yeah. yeah. So and it changes your ratio of male to female in in the drop next year, obviously. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yep. So hopefully I'll end up with about 80 female calves and the the balance will be steer calves. That's yeah, right. That's a good way of doing it. Um, and that that'll give you lots of information. You love looking at information, Mike. Um, okay. I've been. I've been in the uh, in a better beef group with you, and uh, you're always able to pull up a graph on your iPad and some lots of data. Um, tell us a little bit more about um, some of the things that you do with uh, information. Yeah, look, I'm a great believer in evidence-based decision making. I think um, agriculture is such a complex um, business. You've got a biological system and dealing with, you know, the effects of what's going on in the global economy. Um, and uh, and I find it a great challenge. I absolutely love it. So, as you know, I spent most of my life working in, in banking and um, but grew up on a farm and all I ever wanted to do was to be a farmer. So I've come to farming uh, later in life uh, and been doing that for about 15 years. So... With uh, a lot of collecting, a lot of data and um, using evidence-based decisions, when where's the line drawn for you where perhaps um, the information might be telling you one thing, but your gut's telling you something else? Being a 
being in agriculture for you know family member for 150 years sorry um you know sometimes the gut does take over doesn't it well it has to because you know in so many cases that just you just can't get all the evidence you need to make a decision and and look, I find in a lot of cases, uh, we're dealing with a reasonably complex system, as I said, and you do something in, you know, one part of the system and um, that's got ramifications in all other parts of the system. And um, in so many cases, um, it's, it's sort of a self-levelling thing. It's a little bit uh, Archim- like Archimedes, you know, discovery in the bathtub that um, the water just sort of goes back to that same level. Yeah, so the sorts of things that you would collect information on pasture um, availability and uh, and then obvious number of animals you have those sort of simple things. Do you do you have a um, do you make decisions differently according to long range weather forecasts and things? Uh, look, I think so. Um, we've planted a lot of trees over the the fifteen years we've been on the farm, and. Um, it's always tough getting those um, little seedlings through their first summer. Um, but if you have one of our mild, wet summers, uh, you know, you can get over a 90% survival rate. And if we get one of those really hot, dry summers, we've had summers where, you know, there's been, you know, 15 to 20 mils of rain for over three or four months. And, um, you know, that really take, pays a heavy toll on the, on the, on the tree survival rate. So uh, if, We've got, um, you know, a big La Nina um, event happening right now and uh, we've put in a lot of trees last uh, winter, spring, and um, they're looking fantastic at the moment. So um, those forecasts aren't always accurate. No, they're not, aren't they? But I suppose it's better than, uh, like, if they've got a probability of being more one way than the other, you're probably better to look at them. Yeah, that's right. And so we're dealing with probabilities, not absolutes. That's right. Yeah. And um, I suppose some of my, the listeners of the podcast might uh, remember Mike as uh, heading up ag at um, the NAB and, and ag went through a very uh, growth, big growth period, I think, under your watch, Mike. And um, what are the lessons that, um, that y- you have learned from your years, um, your time in agribanking? Yeah, look, Tom spent nearly 20 years in agribanking and through that um, had the wonderful opportunity to sit across the table of uh, many farming families and talk about their aspirations and where they wanted to take the business. And and through that period and, and, and to now have seen a lot of farmers benefit from uh, borrowing quite heavily, gearing up and investing in expanding their business and to create an enormous amount of value from that. But, you know, the more sobering um, side of that is that there are some where, you know, they, they geared up too heavily and things came unstuck and um, ended up destroying a lot of wealth. So, um, you know, taking on debt is something that you do with caution and it's something that you've got to have a lot of respect for. We had the um, the Hain Banking Inquiry last year, and there seemed to be. I focused, um, I followed the um, the rural parts of that quite closely, and there seemed to be a view emerged from that that you know the banks really need to take a lot of responsibility uh, around responsible lending practices, so that they didn't get their customers into trouble. And look, I struggle with that a little bit because I think. Um, what you do with your business and the amount of gearing that you take on is very much an individual thing. You know, 
risk appetites a concept we use in the corporate world. And we all have very individual risk appetites. And, you know, it was great to listen to the interview you did with Jack and Jen Roxborough, um, because even within a, a management unit at a farm, at a family farm, uh, there are different risk appetites. And Jack, you know, clearly had a, a, a bigger appetite for risk than Jen did. And they, they worked that through together and came out at a balanced sort of point. And, and I guess the message is that um, don't expect your bank to make a decision around the appropriate level of gearing for you. Um, it, it's, um, it, it's your decision and it's you that will have to live with the consequences. So um, uh, treat it with respect and do a fair bit of analysis. So, you know, I encourage people to set up some spreadsheet models of their farm business and do some sensitivities around what happens if you get a run of bad seasons, what happens if commodity prices come off uh, quite a bit. You've, you've really got to do that analysis yourself. So you mentioned a little bit about, you know, different people's perspective to risk. Um, how much risk profiling do the bank do behind well, the they, scenes on a property, on a particular yeah, look, enterprise? Look, they... Um, they will um, assess two things when it when it comes to your capacity to pay. Well, I guess there's three things. First of all, they look to the the character of the of the people and um, make sure that um, you know they're smart people and know what they're doing when it comes to borrowing and running a business. Um, but they then and I think place probably more reliance on the level of collateral. So they're pretty concerned about um, loan to value ratios and that's to the value of the security that they've taken in the mortgage. Um, and they'll do some sensitivity analysis around that and make sure that, um, you know, if property prices were to come off and correct a little, um, that they'd still be well covered. Um, and then the third thing they look at is the, the cash flow and ability to service debt. But, you know, um, Producing those cash flow projections is as much art as it is science, um, because we just we don't know what combination of variables are going to play out around seasonal conditions and um, and commodity prices. So um, you've really got to do that work yourself and make sure that you're comfortable with it. Mike, um, what sort of things as a farmer should I take along to my bank manager when I'm going to? Um, apply for a loan or you know what how prepared what should i prepare what's the best thing that a banker likes to see look i think having a well thought out business plan with those cash flow projections and some sensitivity analysis um, gives the banks a lot of confidence um, around the fact that you've you've properly assessed the the level of risk that you want to take on and that this is a you know going to be a sensible decision a decision that's going to create wealth for you we we as farmers are always at a you know perhaps local barbecue um comparing beef to sheep and uh, and you know and and having a little bit of a go at each other um surely the bankers must know which enterprises are the most profitable and the and the best to run have you got any opinion on that well there's an enormous variation in the uh in the bankers that you deal with um so um just to sort of step back to you know a higher level more macro level tom uh you know since banking deregulated back in the 70s 
it's become an extremely competitive business. Uh, so you'll find that there are some bankers that are, you know, really um, pushing for winning business and increasing market share and potentially paying less regard to um, the credit worthiness of the proposal that the, that the farmers are putting to them. Whereas the, then you find others that um, are much more relationship focused and much more specialised in agriculture. Uh, and, and when you find those bankers, they're, they're terrific. You, you, know, you should expect to pay a little bit more for dealing with a banker like that, but they, um, th they will be doing that analysis in the background and will be able to have really good conversations with you about your business plan and about your mix of enterprises and, uh, and which enterprises are, are the most profitable. And, and those are the sort of things a good banker will do, and regardless of what they might charge you in interest, um, yeah. they, can, they can be a bit of an advisor to make sure that um, you're doing the right things or taking on enough ri or t taking on um, too much or not enough yeah, risk. Right. Yeah, so, so I think you'll find that more likely to occur in the, the banks that have got specialised agribusiness units or, they're, or they're, that's all they do. They're very focused on, on agriculture and... Um, you know, one of the things you want to try and get a little understanding of when you're dealing with a banker is to what degree they are specialised in agriculture and how deep that is in the organisation. Um, most farms are going to have years where their cash flows are negative, where things go against them. And um, you, you want to make sure that not only will that banker, but also the bank's credit department will be comfortable with that and can look through the, the cycles and the ups and downs um, that farm businesses invariably focus uh, face. And you mentioned um, profile uh, character, the people's character. Um, I remember my my father saying when he used to go to and visit farmers to look at their cattle and talk to them about genetics. He would say he could always tell which was the most profitable enterprise by how interested the farmer was in it. Yeah, um, you, you would pick bankers would pick all that sort of stuff up as well, I presume. Yeah, look, I think so. Um, you know, over the years we've seen, you know, I can remember looking at some credit applications for for young farmers that were just desperate to buy their own land. And um, on paper you looked at it and you thought, this is really skinny. There's not a lot of equity there. There's not a lot of room for, uh, for error. But you could tell in talking to them that they were... Um, absolutely passionate and obsessed about making it work and you could tell that they would um you know when when things got tough um they'd tighten the belt up and and work it through where there are others that you know you, you meet people that are a little naive when it comes to you know what the obligation is that you enter into when you you um, mm. take out a loan contract and um enter into a mortgage and that's where things can get really, you know, rocky in the relationship between the banker and the farmer, and that normally doesn't end up um, very well. Yeah, and I mean, it's obviously not in the banker's interest to ring some, a farmer up and say, "Look, things aren't going very well on your farm." We've made, and it's just as much the banker who's made the mistake as the farmer, really, if it all does go pear-shaped. Yeah, that's right. And I think, well, when things get when things get tight, um, the best thing you can do is make sure. You approach the banker before they approach you uh, with your plans on how you're going to work through it yeah. and projections on, on, on how you see things turning around in the future. 
So if you take that proactive approach, um, you're far more likely to find your bank um, continuing to support you through a downturn. Now, you're um, also involved in some agricultural corporate uh, farming businesses. Um, So I suppose I've got a few opinions about corporate farming that, you know, that uh, the family (laughs) farmer uh, has more skin in the game and he's going to be, you know, doing the things there and then that need to be done all the time to make make it work and obviously there's some family farms that aren't like that um how does how does it work at a corporate level to get that um skin in the game feeling into all of the all of the people involved in a corporate organization look i think that's one of the biggest challenges for corporate i think you've you've hit that you know the nail right on the head there tom and that is to you know, get a management team and um, and farm and station managers that um, are absolutely committed to the success of that business and 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 making decisions as if it was their money. Um, so that goes to selecting the right people and um, making sure that uh, you, you you create and build that culture in the organisation. Um, you know, having incentives around um, rewarding people who run the farm as if it was their own and their own money. Incentives can be hard, can't they? Because there's so much other variation that's hard to, to yeah, that's uh, quantify. Right. Yeah. And, there's, no, there's no perfect um, incentive scheme. So, you know, you've just got to work really hard to try and make sure that it's one that um, does reward the right behaviour. Yes, yes. Yeah. And um, obviously having investors that aren't necessarily farmers... Um, what what sort of things do investors um, bring to the table that perhaps wouldn't be have to be considered? Um, and and I I suppose I, I'm sort of pointing at things like um, more social license and um, agric- uh, an environmental um, conscience. Uh, is is that something that you see coming through from investors? Uh, very, very much so. And look, I think the best family operators are very focused on that as well. Um, but when you've got um, big superannuation firms and pension firms investing in agriculture, they want absolute assurance that the management team is going to make sure that um, there are no, um, you know, no animal welfare issues, um, no adverse environmental issues um, and that um, the employees are, are looked after well from a health and safety and, and well-being perspective. Um, so there's a lot of focus on those sorts of things in the corporate farming world. So um, George King, has, who I've interviewed on the podcast, sent me through a text um, telling me to read The Sacred Cow. Um, yeah. Uh, I suppose if the investors start reading Sacred Cow, you'll be probably implementing some of those ideas, will you? <laughs> uh, well, um, or are you already uh, doing it? Uh, look, I think um, th- there's a lot of misconceptions about agriculture um, in, uh, in 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 urban communities, and that obviously flows through to. The investment committees in those um, those pension funds and, and superannuation companies. So that 
that's something that we as um, corporate farming managers have to address when we're promoting agriculture as an investment to them. And so, you know, we, we take them through the whole, you know, environmental and sustainability story of agriculture and, and how we're going to address that uh, in the business that they're investing in. Very good, Mike. Um, I, it's time for us to start talking about our masterpieces, mistakes and mentors. Not mine, I mean, I mean yours. And um, um, so uh, what, what mistakes have you made? Oh, look, I think through um, my exec career, Tom, if there's one thing that I didn't get right, it was, um, it was work-life balance. Um, uh, I got a bit obsessive about uh, my work and too absorbed in my work and I think the family probably paid a bit of a price for that um, but then if I turn around quickly to my masterpieces there um, marrying Sal and producing two wonderful daughters um, I counted that very well Sal's been extremely supportive um, of me through my executive career and even uh, to now in, in farming and some mentors that you've um, discovered uh, along the way uh, mentors, um, look, no formal mentor, but there's a lot of people that have had a, a very big influence on uh, on my uh, business career and, and life in general. And, and look, I think one of the people that I'd um, call out first would be your father, Andrew Govins. Um, I got quite excited with the work he was doing back, I think, in the 70s when, you know, around the time of the Perth Angus Group, Mm -hmm. bringing objective measurement into cattle selection and cattle management. Um, you know, the whole concept of precision agriculture is something that really appeals to me. And I think the cropping world and you know, maybe the cotton industry in particular are really quite advanced in that. And I think even to this day, the livestock industries have got a fair way to go in, in catching up. And I think, you know, your father... Um, was instrumental along with um, the other members of that Bert Angus group in um, in getting objective measurement into cattle selection. And uh, that sort of then led to the formation of um, breed plan and the, and the systems we've got that handle the, the, the mountain of data that we collect. But others, you know, um, I did an MBA and uh, one of the lecturers there that had a big influence on me was Bob Officer who taught corporate finance and um, I particularly enjoyed um, his valuation theory um, and that sort of gave me a ground for, you know, value-based management in the, in the businesses that I managed in my corporate career and um, um, I'm applying those principles now as I, um, as I tackle farming. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for talking on with me today on the Raw Ag Podcast. Um, you've um, been involved in agriculture for a long time and made a wonderful contribution and, and obviously still are. But And so thank you very much for coming in and sharing some of your points of view. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure. If you're enjoying the Raw Ag Podcast, make sure you rate and review on your favourite podcast app. 